Hello and welcome everybody to the Infinite Financial Freedom Podcast, where we empower you with financial literacy and guide you on your journey to financial freedom. I'm Josh Metal, and I'm here today with my friend Brian Grimes, founder of 24-7 Cashflow University. Brian is a true real estate entrepreneur, which means we're naturally friends from minute one. And uh, <laughs> after graduating from Columbia University in 2011, Brian embarked on a career in financial planning, worked both at AXA Advisors and Bridgewater, which I believe is the firm that Ray Dalio founded. And uh, we're going to get into that in just a minute. And since then, since, since going down the path of financial planning, he, he took a left-hand turn and he started his own real estate development company in Philadelphia and has gone on to buy, gut, and renovate over 300 rental properties across the country using the Burr strategy. Now, I live in Park City, Utah. So the Burr strategy around here is you take your Patagonia and you put a North coat over the top of it, and then you put your beanie on, and that's the Burr strategy. But I think Brian is going to educate us on a different kind of Burr strategy. So Brian, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for being here with me. No, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm really excited to chat with you. Uh, I was telling you, you know, before we got on that I, I was up at four o'clock this morning with my hot cup of coffee, you know, my... Uh, my uh, Park City coffee cup here. And I was reading back through your bio, your history, and I just got fired up for this call, man. So uh, let's jump in. I'm stoked to spend some time with you. I'm really curious about your journey from Ivy League, Columbia University, to going down the path of financial services. We talked, I'd love to, you know, just learn a little bit about your journey and what it was like to work at you say AXA or AXA? Yeah, it's AXA. 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 Okay. It's a, a French, I guess, a French-based uh, company, but has branches all over, uh, all it. over the world, really. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely interesting. Uh, when you're at Columbia University, um, and I was an econ major, right? They're pretty much railroading everybody into investment banking at this time. It's like, oh, you're an econ, you want to be an I banker, and. I was always one to not look at the money, but look at the lifestyle, right? Everything was always about lifestyle for me because my parents were entrepreneurs. I, I uh, loved their lifestyle and I wanted that. So I would look at, well, what are the partners doing in iBanking? How are they living? Are they spending time with their families? Do they look happy? These guys look stressed out. They're, um, <laughs> you know, they're on meds. They're, they're just like freaked out. And they're working 20 hour uh, days, even into their 50s. And I'm looking at that and saying, do I want that? Not the money, because a lot of us get caught on the money. Do I want that? And I didn't want that. What I wanted was to be my own boss, to kind of control my destiny, to ha not have a cap, but to also, I knew I wanted to get into real estate. So I wanted to have something that allowed me the free time to make my schedule so that I could build myself as well. So I got into financial planning, one, because nobody in my family knew anything about money and I wanted to learn. Um, about wealth, because I knew that would allow me to uplift others in my community and in my family. And I knew that it was something that I could do in a sales environment uh, where I could control my own schedule, my own destiny. I love it. You, uh, you reminded me of a lesson. One of my, one of my coaches, my, actually my first coach um, taught me, which was, this was right after the, the mortgage meltdown. And I think this was probably 2010 and Bill told me, he said, he said, all right, the business you spent the last 10 years building just imploded. It's gone. Get over it. And the only <laughs> thing you should be thinking about right now is what is it that you want to build going forward? In other words, start building something with the intentionality of where you want to end up. And he would, he would always tell me on your terms. Yeah. Based on how much time you want for yourself, your family, your faith, your kids, your, your, your endeavors in life, and then build that business that will work alongside that. Don't allow the business to push everything else out and suffocate it. And that's, that's exactly what you just said with, you know, do I want that? Do I want to end up where those guys and gals are? Yeah, absolutely. And, and another thing, um, you know, I got some incredible mentors from Columbia. I'm wearing for the Columbia people out there. I'm wearing my Columbia blue, um, <laughs> which is like every other shirt is like this color. Um, 
but I had some incredible mentors, right? Some former athletes. I'm a former basketball guy. I'm about six, seven. Uh, first high school game was against LeBron James. That's a, a funny story wow. if, if we get into it. But um, I had some incredible mentors, right? And they gave me these principles, like, like almost everyone I can just name some you know, mind-blowing or transformational principles. But one that my uh, top real estate mentor gave me, he's like business partners with Magic Johnson, TD Jakes. He does big commercial deals um, all over the country. He talked about portable equity. And this is like when I'm in my early 20s. What does that mean? He said, well, you go work at a job and they're working you, you're building relationship, you're building, you know, all these things and a reputation. But if you leave, you can't take it with you. Uh, and I'm like, whoa. And, and I, he started talking about the licenses you can get. You can get your certified financial planners uh, credential. You can take that. That's portable equity. And if you're going to work somewhere, you always have to have portable equity. And I, I started to look at real estate also as portable equity, wherever I was working, I stopped viewing the job as a job. And I started viewing the, the uh, employer as my partner. They were funding my real estate career and they were giving me the money to put in the properties that were going to be my portable equity short or when I leave. If you're like a millennial or a Gen Zer, I mean, you're working somewhere one, two years. So and then you're, you're usually jumping because we want immediate gratification and these things. So you have to think about portable equity, no matter what you're doing. The question is not the reputation you're building here, but where, uh, what you can take with you when you go, because it's, it's really more of a when than if these days. That's such a beautiful mental construct. I'm going to, I'm going to borrow that portable equity. I love that. And what I, what I take away from that is I may be building the brand equity at a company, but I need to get something out of that more than dollars. Uh, a Definitely. paycheck that's taxed at the highest rate, right? I need to get out uh, furthering my education, furthering my reputation, furthering my ability to to grow and to do the next thing, whatever that is. Am I did I get that right, or would you add anything to that? It, no, it is that. It's, it's like what you were talking about. You were if you were building this one business and then it just went kaput. The market conditions changed. What skill sets did you get from going through that process? That you can now apply. What, is, what are the portable skill sets that are going to stay with you, uh, regardless of whatever the job is or whatever business that you built? Um, it's more about what you get out of it and what you can retain and then apply to the next business because you know that makes you stronger. Just like you're saying, every job I worked at, I had that mentality of what skills can I get? And a lot of those skills that I picked up from working at startups, working at high net worth firms, managing money for millionaires, wherever I worked, I took things from it and I applied, applied that to real estate and it made me successful in real estate. It's almost like you, you, you take the mindset of I'm a franchise and I have to invest in my personal franchise, the, the Brian franchise, the Josh franchise, and I may be doing a job for you, but in the back of my mind, I'm building my own franchise that is, it is portable that I can take me to the next venture. Definitely. I think what's weird about how we work today is if we go back like 100 years or, or maybe a little bit further, everything was kind of like an apprenticeship, right? If you wanted to be a shoemaker, you had to apprentice under a shoemaker. Yep. Now it's like uh, you go work at this big corporation and you can work there and they'll teach you what you need to know, but it doesn't feel like this apprenticeship thing. When you have the apprentice mindset, no matter where you're at, you're there to learn from masters so that you can become a master, not just so you can continue to uh, be in that role. So it, it's definitely taking that old school mindset shift. And I think when it comes to real estate investing in particular and being an investor, there's almost no school um, class you can go to. That is still one industry where you have to be an apprentice under a master. So it's, it's yes. uh, kind of that antiquated industry where this still applies today, which is, I think, amazing. School of hard knocks. I have a few of those real estate stories we could get into, Brian. <laughs> but it's yeah, a lot too. better to be a, working an apprenticeship. I'll tell you what. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, we can't go on without hearing the LeBron James story. So let, let's do that, man. What, what happened in this game? Did you win? We, we, I think we lost by like 10, but it, it, was, a, it was a nail biter. I mean, I, um, you know, growing up in Philly, uh, I was probably six, four at like 12, 13. 
nationally ranked, top 10 ranked at this time uh, going into high school. So I'm a freshman. Now, most people I played in front of is like 150 people. I've got three All-Americans on my team, seniors. One, six, seven, he's going to Duke. Well, one, six, eight, he's going to Duke. One, six, seven, he's going to uh, University of Florida. And the other is seven feet, and he's going to Vanderbilt. I mean, these guys are like just studs, right? So they fly us out to uh, Akron University to play some guy named LeBron James and YouTube's not really built out. Like you can't even see video on this guy. I've got a, a 65 year old coach who's like five two, two eighty. He's, he's got a basketball. He's going baseline. If he gets here, he's just going to take off and tomahawk dunk on you. And we're looking at him like nobody's doing that in high school. What are you talking about? <laughs> we get down there uh, out of a private jet. Um, th- we're turning on the radio in the van. Oh, uh, you know, Germantown Academy's here. Brian Grimes is a freshman, superstar freshman, and talking about these seniors and where they're going. And I'm like, wait, we're on the radio? <laughs> like, what is going on here? Sold out crowd. I think Akron University could hold 10,000, 12,000. There's 15 to 18,000 people there. Wow. And this guy is just a, incredible. I, I describe him, I mean, you can see how he can jump now at like 37, 38. I describe him as a 18-year-old as if you were standing next to him and he's running full sprint and you're running full sprint in high school and you reach out to touch him, he's two paces ahead of you. He's that much faster and stronger than everybody. He could almost jump twice in the time it would take you to jump once because you're loading up to jump. He's just bunny hopping, but his head's like at the rim. I mean, this guy was, he, he was just light years ahead of people and all the skill sets. So it was an amazing experience. And I played a lot of other good people that year. I mean, it's really a, a national program, but some of those experiences uh, definitely stick with you. I didn't know who he was before, uh, but we, we knew who he was after <laughs> that game. <for> sure. <laughs> and, he, and he's been incredible, you know, ever since. Yeah. What an, what an incredible experience for you as a young man to be put on that kind of a stage and that kind of pressure to perform. I mean, I know I, I, I gained my, I guess what I'll call my, my grit, my tenacity, my, my willingness to dive into hard things uh, from sports. You know, I was a football guy. I played a couple of years of college football. Uh, nowhere. My name was never on the radio, just so everybody knows. I, I, I was <laughs> never that good. <laughs> but uh, but it, it, it is something that taught me not to fear failing and losing. Uh, it taught me that that team mindset that, you know, you're only as good as the as the worst person on the team. And, um, and it was a, it was a life lesson. So, so cool for you to experience that at such a young age, man. No, yeah, it was definitely cool. And, and I agree with you. Sports is that the microcosm for life, yep. uh, no matter what level you played at, um, it, it teaches you so much about business and, and real estate that it's incredible. And how you're going to deal with failure, you know, um, definitely. If you want to be good at sports, you better get a growth mindset because somebody's going to serve you sooner or later and you're going to have to eat a big slice of humble pie humble and then figure pie. out how you go back and work on your game. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so Brian, tell me about the pivot, man. You pivoted from financial services and you're talking about major financial services. I mean, you, you, you come out of Columbia. I could just imagine you're sitting there working at Bridgewater and, and you're like, eh, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to go do this real estate thing. So help me understand that a little bit more. I think it, I call it being fiercely independent uh, to a degree. It's uh, when I went, the, the thing that happened to me is I really got bit um, by the independence bug on my first job. So when I'm working at, you know, AXA, I'm hundred percent commission straight out of college. And that's a, that's a sink or swim environment. Yep. That's a 90% failure rate. So only 10% like, hey, I'm sitting here cold call, calling next to this guy. And then next week he's gone, you know, yeah. and it's it's uh, when you survive that gauntlet, you get what they call rhino skin. A rhino skin is 10, 10 inches thick and, you know, you can't penetrate it with a bullet. You start to become fearless because you survived this uh, high failure, high intensity environment. And when I did that, I started to learn about the two month delay. So the two month delay is. If you put in a, as much energy as you can into commission sales, like today, you're going to go super hard. You're going to drive around. You're going to sell as much as you can. You're not going to see the fruit from the, that energy until two months from now. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. So you're building up a pipeline of activity and energy that you're getting paid off of. And as I went through that process, I started to believe in myself and my own energy. I started to understand, even if I was working at a job, what was really bringing in the money was the energy I'm putting into it today. And I trusted that if I put that energy into anything, that there was going to be some delay, but it was going to come back and, uh, and pay me in full. So no matter what I was doing, I always had this fierce independence and more fearlessness than the average person because I knew I could survive 100% commission, no salary anyway, as a 25-year-old with no connections, no relationships, really. So I just wasn't ever afraid. It was harder for me to fully buy into the employee mindset and some of the constraints there. So I, I call it the, um, as I'm doing real estate and I'm used to being my own boss and I'm trying to be an employee, I'm going through what I call the Clark Kent Superman syndrome um, of I'm, I'm Superman by night. I'm, I'm my own boss by night and during my lunch break. And then I'm an employee by day. And eventually one of the egos just destroys the other. And it's usually the Superman ego um, that wins out. And once that happens, you know, you have to become your own boss. You have to go all in on real estate. You have to bet on yourself. And I think a lot about, um, I think a lot about self-confidence and, and where that comes from. And, and when you were talking, it, it brought up this, this construct that I have around, you know, where does legitimate self-confidence come from? Now that's not the self-confidence that people show off by their watches. Uh, this is a $99 Apple watch for anybody who isn't watching the video. <laughs> uh, it's not the kind of confidence that you get by driving a fat, flashy car or, or, or a really nice suit. It's the kind of confidence that you get from showing up every day, putting in more work to the lady or the guy next to you, getting the results and finally getting to that place where you're like, man, you could drop me anywhere and I can out hustle. I can out innovate. I can outwork. I can find who's successful in my environment and I can go, okay, I, I know how to Josh that. I can take that little piece. I can make it mine. And I show up every day when other people are drunk after the game and hungover, or whatever. And, and I believe that's where self-confidence really comes from. Would you, would you add anything to that? I would, I would kind of reiterate it. And I love that you said I would Josh that because there's a knowledge of self within that, within that level of confidence that, you know, you know, what Josh is independent of um, applause, criticism, or, or anything else, you know, that when you are put in pressure cookers, who you are and what you will, what you are capable of doing, and that you have a relentlessness. You're not afraid of failure because you, you failed before you can't come back. Yep. And when you have that knowledge of self, I have, I have a similar knowledge of, you know, when I got put in the cold call environment, I went back to basketball and I said, you know what, what got me on the court when I wasn't good mm -hmm. was obsession and consistency, keeping the, what we call uh, keeping the main thing, the main thing. The main things to keep the main thing, the main thing, tunnel vision, staying locked in, picking up the phone and pounding that phone, period, independent of results, criticism, people laughing, potential failure. And no, when you know that about yourself, you always bet on yourself. You never bet on an employer, a, you know, some investment you might not understand. You just don't bet on those things. You bet on yourself because you, you trust yourself more than anything. And I, I think that you're, you're, you just hit the nail on the head. Once you get that level, financial freedom is, is inevitable. Once you get that level of understanding of self and what you're capable of. So many golden nuggets in the first 20 minutes of this conversation, man. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm really having a good time here. All right, yeah. well, let's, let's take a hardcore pivot and let's get into some discussion around real estate investing, which is really your, your genius zone. And so, you know, right now, everybody's talking about inflation and there's a lot of fear about both inflation and a pending potential recession, what the Federal Reserve is going to do. You know, it, that, that's kind of a scary thing out there. So how do you think about inflation and a potential recession as it relates to your real estate investing, good or bad time to be in the real estate game? I think... Uh buy real estate and wait instead of wait to buy real estate is usually the, uh, you know, the best philosophy. So I believe even though I've done, you know, 
very well with the birth strategy. I do believe in being strategy agnostic because it I, I look at it like sports again. You're a football guy. You're not trying to sweep right into a blitz. You know what I mean? Like you wanna you wanna react to the defense. And I believe if the defense is off you, you shoot the ball in basketball. And if they're all up on you, you drive around them. And I look at the market in the same way. So if the uh, if rates are super low um, and pricing is correct, you want to get heavily into the burst strategy. If rates start ticking up, but prices are also inflating as well, you might be able to do some buy and flip activity. If rates keep going up and inventory is going up, but there's market pain like we're seeing now, um, and we might be going into a recession, you might want to get more into the creative financing piece where you're doing subject to lease purchase options, um, sandwich lease options, land contracts. You might want to get more into the creative financing piece because that's going to allow you to go out and search for those juicy deals. What are the juicy deals? Well, when a 30-year mortgage is at 7.5%, maybe you find somebody in pre-foreclosure and you structure a subject to deal that allows you to take over their existing mortgage, their owner mortgage that's at a three and a half percent note or 3.2 or 2.5, something that you can't even get. So I believe that it's, it's more about uh, being strategy agnostic that will allow you to win in any environment. So it's more of a knowledge thing than what the market is doing at the moment. With that being said, the, the market, it's a big market, right? The United States, we look at it as like one thing, but it is really state specific. So right. if we look out on the West Coast, um, like Boise, Idaho is red hot. Um, Tampa, Florida is leading is leading the country. Some of these markets that are super overheated, they're going to have serious pullbacks. A lot of the Northeast is actually pretty prime. Like if I, I go in a C-class neighborhood of Baltimore, I mean... <laughs> It, it, it's uh, you don't even own, you really don't even need a mortgage to get some of these deals. You might buy a property for 30K, put 10 grand into it and cash flow $1,200 a month with a Section 8 tenant. And you don't care about what the economy's doing, what the market's doing. So it's really about a strategy. And for what I do, because I'm so low to the ground in terms of my strategy and the way that I uh, build and, and acquire properties, th this is not necessarily having a major impact on me. It's more of a short term market fluctuation where I'll do just different strategies like creative financing. I want to get into the burst strategy and I want to get into, I think I heard you say, you know, you, you fly close to the ground. I want to, I want to dig into that and learn what you, what you mean by that. But I want to net out really quickly what you said. Basically what I think I heard you say is I look for where there's a, a, a challenge or a problem in the market and I find the solution to whatever that problem is. If it's low inventory, there's, there's a different challenge than if there's high inventory. If there's low interest rates, there's a different problem than if there's uh, high interest rates. I find I, I don't have just one tool in my, in my toolbox. I find the problems and then I use the appropriate tool to find the solution and, and bring value to the project. That's correct. We need numerous tools. A lot of us, uh, we fall in love with one strategy. And that's where you see people have massive success and, and then massive uh, failure. Like, hey, we're flipping and they're going to flip until the wheels fall off. But then eventually they fall off and people are sitting there sitting on, you know, 10 flips that aren't going to sell and they lose it all. You know, they say it's not how, how good you're doing it's how long you're doing good. And <laughs> when you have uh when you have more strategies available to you, you can do good for longer because you can pivot and adjust to the market versus be a victim of the market. So it's about just having more knowledge. And what I love about real estate, I'm sure you do too, Josh, is I feel like they, they say good musician, good musicians say they learn something new about their instrument like every day. They learn something new, even if they're like 99, they're still learning. I feel like real estate is so broad that if you stick with it, you can just keep learning and learning and learning. And the more you learn, the more flexibility you have, the safer uh, of an investor you are because you can pivot better. So that it's 100% right. I try to have more tools available so that I can pivot and adjust. Brian, it's funny you said that. I was just listening to uh, George Gammon's podcast. He has a great podcast called the Rebel Capitalist Podcast. And he was interviewing Robert Kiyosaki. And George was making an observation that, at his most recent rebel capitalist event, he throws a 
biannual or quarterly rebel capitalist capitalist live event. And he 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 observed that Kiyosaki was in the front row, center stage, 30 minutes before the presentation was was starting. And he said he didn't even see his eyes the entire presentation because his face was down and he was writing notes so feverishly. This is a guy who is probably worth a half a billion dollars in real estate investments and is has written the most sold book ever in the history of personal finance. He's the guru of guru when it comes to real estate investing. And he's 30 minutes early and he has his head down taking pages and pages of notes. The man is a student of the game when he doesn't need to be a student of the game anymore. It's just in his DNA. Definitely. Yeah. Being a student, a long-term student is a, I mean, it's a major key to success is there's also a humbleness. I mean, extreme humbleness in that, that, um, you know, will allow you to not get blindsided. Being arrogant can close off your, your uh, mind to different opportunities. And he, he, you know, yeah, we've all learned so much from Kiyosaki. I mean, rich dad, poor dad, cash flow quadrants. I mean, it's, uh, he's been just a blessing uh, to the game, I think for, for a lot of us for financial freedom. Yeah. Changed my life. I've talked about it many times on the podcast, so couldn't agree with you more. I want to get to the Burr strategy. I want to leave plenty of, um, plenty of time for that, but I have kind of a follow-up question on my previous question as it relates to the fear that I see being elevated. And I really think it's the narrative in the mainstream media around, um, the real estate market's about to crash. The real estate market's about to crash. The real estate market's about to crash. But while I hear that from the mainstream media, I read reports like the one I'm going to I'm going to mention here in just a minute. This came from Housing Wire. Housing Wire recently wrote an article. I'm staring at it here on my screen, where they said that institutional investors have secured an, a record eight billion in funding secured by single-family residential homes so far in 2022. So that means they're on pace to do. 16, 17 billion in in residential purchases. And listen to a few of these numbers. Progress Residential, a single family platform, recently unveiled its fifth securitization deal of the year. Uh, A single family loan transaction secured by 2,273 income producing single family homes. Um, There's another one here. He mentions first key homes, securitized to financing deal, uh, with worth 1.4 billion secured by a pool of 3,882 income producing single family homes. So you have all this narrative from the media that there's a housing market crash. And then you have billions of dollars of Wall Street money funding institutional acquisitions of thousands of single family residential homes. And it makes me ask the question, what don't we know? When the, you know, when the smart money's moving in like that, what, what don't we know? So I'm just curious your perspective around that. I think the, the media, the media speaks to the, what they view as the true consumer, which is just, you're moving into a house to live there. Um, So when you're just moving in to live somewhere, then, then rates, I mean, that's a big impact on your bottom line, especially in a recession. So they put out, that to the masses, because even uh, though you're talking about the institutional players, it's still only the investors only make up one fifth of the of the market. So they're speaking to the four fifths because that's how you're going to get the, the ratings. Right. The yep. one fifth of the investors, um, they're looking at cap rates. They're looking at compression all over the place. And there are a lot of people I talk to that are like commercial investors. And they're like, Brian, why don't you do commercial? Aren't you going to graduate to commercial? And I'm like, well, you know, the main things to keep the main thing, the main thing I'm here, I'm <laughs> tapped into my thing. You do your thing. But a lot, a lot of these uh, commercial players will also come and say, it's taken me two deals to turn it, uh, two years to turn a deal. How, how much uh, time does it take you? I could do 20 in a quarter. You know, I could do more in a quarter if I scale it, if I scale that up um, and maybe get another warehouse or do some different things. And that's like blows them away. So, you know, I think the institutions are seeing the opportunity in, um, residential real estate because they're looking globally and they're understanding that there are renter nations out there. There are places like London, uh, Japan. These are renter 
nations, which means the investors own almost all of the real estate and everybody's a renter. And America is becoming a renter's nation. If you start looking at the statistics, I was pulling up statistics last year that showed like uh, places in New York City where it was 80% investor owned. Wow. 80% of the people, in, in, for instance, in like the Bronx, 80% of the people in the Bronx are renters um, or, or thereabout. And it, it fluctuates at times. There are parts of LA, um, California, where 60 to 80% of the people rent within major cities uh, in, Cal in uh, California. So when you start to follow these statistics, the Midwest is a bit bigger, but this is where the investors are buying. They're trying to turn the Midwest yep. into, an, into a renter pocket. And ultimately, uh, if you go out 30 or 40 years, potentially we're a renter's nation as well. So there's a big trend there. And that's why the, uh, the people are buying because uh, real estate is stable. I mean, big money is, is doing it because it's, it gives you a hedge against what the market's doing. Cash flow doesn't care about interest rates. That's for new deals that you're doing today. If you locked up like these guys did 8,000 deals over the last 10 years, they don't care what rates are doing right now because the cash flow is pretty stable yep. and the mortgage is fixed. So it's just a great investment. That's why big money does it. That's why they're in single family. It's quick to turn. It's easy to scale. There's less competition in commercial, better cap rates, more flexibility, and you can capitalize on, on um, you know, market drama and you can scale up with today's technology to do it at a, a different level, do it in town, out of town. I mean, it's just a, my brother asked me uh, the other day, Brian, uh, there's got to be something else we can do, right? Like there's, there's got to be other franchises, vending machines, uh, laundry mats, fast food joints. Like what else can we be doing with our money? There's got to be something better, right? And I'm like, I can't think, if I could think of something that could pay you cash flow while it's giving you tax write-offs and deductions, ghost depreciation, while it's appreciating, I would be doing it. But I, I just can't come up with another investment that pays you in those three ways. And that is that powerful. I, I, I can't. And I've looked at a lot of stuff. So no. And, and in fact, vending machines, uh, fast food joints and laundromats, that is real estate because it's all based upon where it's physically located. That is going to determine the cash flow. So it all is real estate anyway. So real estate for the win. Well, and, and, and the proofs in the, in the pudding, Brian, I mean, if you just look at asset classes around the world this year, uh, Stock market's down roughly 25% when we look at the S&P. Cryptocurrency's down roughly 70%. Um, cash, the, the value of your cash, the, the number on your bank account statement still says the same amount. Hopefully it says a little more. But <laughs> the value, the purchasing power of that money is down. If you believe the government's inflation reports, it's down whatever, 8.6, 8.3%. If you, if you look at just the cost of energy, food, housing, and medical, it's up 25%. Those things are up 25%. So I'd argue that your purchasing power, your value of your cash is down somewhere between the official number of 8.3 and the real life number, what we're, what we're spending our money on, 25%. So if you compare that to how real estate's doing, I don't know about you, Brian, but my cash flow on my properties has all gone up this year. My, my amortization on my loan balances has all gone down this year, meaning I owe less this year. My, uh, my depreciation is still intact. My values uh, are probably up 9% in the first six months. So, so uh, we start to see a little bit of an economic shakeout and real estate very quickly is showing itself as the, as the leader asset class. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a great asset class. Um, I think as a business model, it's also very simple, right? It's been around since the beginning of time. It's something that the average person can get into. And um, speaking on that quickly, you know, my scariest deal, people ask me that. You've done 300 full gut renovations. I, you know, I've seen everything from burnouts to teardowns to ground ups to, you know, the, the biggest horror story shells you can imagine. With structural issues, the property's leaning this way. What was your scariest deal, Brian? And I tell him, uh, my turnkey FHA deal, my first deal, which all I did was paint the walls, sweep the floors, and hand over the keys, was my most horrifying deal. And everybody laughs, but the the moral of that is when you're just getting started, 
you know, and I probably knew maybe 1% of what I know today, maybe less than that. You're just horrified because you're imagining these different scenarios in your head. What could go wrong? My biggest fears were the house is going to catch on fire or it's just going to blow over and I'm not going to know what to do. And with an imagined fear, there's nothing you can do about it. You can't take action. You can't address it because it's imaginary. It doesn't exist. When you're really dealing with a real estate problem in real life, um, it's a lot less scary. You can get through it. You can take action steps. You can get to the other side and then it builds confidence. But just know if you're getting if you're thinking about getting started, but you're afraid, that means you have a pulse. That's a good thing. That means you're smart because we were all afraid and we all laugh at how scared we were of our easiest deal because we were all <laughs> probably the most horrified on our easiest deal. And then now you look at a shell. Oh, it's burnout. No problem. Let's go. You know, it doesn't even <laughs> keep you up at night. It doesn't matter. So it's just a, a funny uh, thing to look back at. There's a lot of wisdom there. Uh, Tim Ferriss has a, a fear setting exercise. So if anybody's hung up on what Brian just said, like, oh man, that's me. I'm just, I'm so fearful. I can't get in the game. I read all the books. I've listened to all the podcasts. I can't pull the trigger. Uh, the, uh, Tim Ferriss, you could just Google Tim Ferriss fear setting exercise. And Tim has this process where he, he takes a sheet of paper and he writes out, all right, what's the worst case scenario What's the best case scenario? What, what's the likelihood of each of these things? And if the worst case scenario came to fruition, how could I pivot? What could I come up with a plan B that would get me out of the worst case scenario? There's a little more detail to it than that, but there's actually a form he created for that fear setting exercise. So whether it's a new job, whether it's an investment, I find that a really insightful exercise to take myself through to, to help myself go, okay, that's the worst case. And if the worst case happens, I'm pulling lever A. And then I got lever B behind that. Can I deal with lever A and lever B? Yep. Okay, cool. I'm going to do the deal. Uh, so, so that's a, a really, really good insight there. No, definitely. And, and another thing to look at to make yourself less afraid of, of real estate is compare it to you know the path you're walking now. Look, look out 20 years and see where you're going to be. If you keep doing uh, what you're doing now and if real estate doesn't work for you, what's the alternative and how scary does that look? Um, are you going to be able to retire? Are you going to be able to ever have financial freedom, do what you want to do? And when you become more afraid, like I did, I became more afraid of not taking my chance. I didn't even yes. care if I failed. Like God's honest truth. I did not even care if I failed. I said, I'll be fine. I will be fine failing. I will not be fine. Um, just walking this path and pretending to be somebody that I'm not, you know, I am, I am the person that bets on myself. So when you become more afraid of that, real estate starts looking a whole lot less scary, even a failure, you can take the lessons, the portable equity and apply it to the next deal and win big on that deal and cover those mistakes. And that's, that's usually what happens to a lot of us, uh, school of hard knock uh, guys, right. we, we get burned for money. We, we make big mistakes but those mistakes wake us up and we recover and then we go, you know, well beyond that. Yep. And, and that's the beauty of making mistakes early in our real estate career. Cause we tend to make smaller mistakes. And yeah. you said something earlier, something to the effect of, and you said it differently, you know, it's not timing the market, it's time in the real estate market. How did you say it? Yeah. Don't, don't wait to buy real estate, buy the real estate and wait. It's that's that's what you got to do, because there you can't you, nobody times the market. If if you're trying to be a market timer, 80 to 90 percent of people buy at the top and sell at the bottom. That that is just human nature, fear and greed. And if you're not like a, a day trader and you haven't played with that fear and greed and really understood it, you're going to make a mistake there. Your best bet is to buy the real estate and wait. Don't wait to buy real estate. Um, there's no good time or bad time. There are just good strategies depending on the time. So study, get with a mentor, somebody who can break things down for you and get in the game. You won't regret it because you're going to learn so much. Uh, like Josh said, you'll, even if you make a mistake, it's going to be so small. If you just do a small single family deal, just get in. You're going to learn million dollar lessons from that small deal that you can apply to multi-million dollar deals in the future. So your future self will thank you for getting off of the sideline and betting on yourself because why not? You're betting on your boss every day. You stay locked into that nine to five that you hate working for the boss you probably don't like. 
you're betting on them, bet on you. It's okay to fail. In, in reality, there are no failures or only lessons. There's only winning and learning. There is no failure in reality when you, when you truly uh, start to understand it. There's winning and learning. Did you learn something or did you win today? Sometimes it's better to learn than to win because when you win, you usually don't learn anything. So, um, you know, you just got to stay tapped in. You really got to stay tapped in. Super well said, Brian. Super well said. All right, man, this has been so valuable. I want to get into Burr. So Burr, for anybody who doesn't know, buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. And this is something that, um, you know, you mentioned is one of your strategies, but you've done over 300 of these. Tell us how you got into this model. Tell us what we need to know. What, 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 what wisdom can you share with us? I got inspired by a guy who um, came from kind of a C-class neighborhood in Philly like I did. And he had a YouTube channel um, way back when. And he's like wearing sunglasses. He's, you know, dressed real, real fresh. And he's going into sheriff sale deals that he's never seen before. Somebody's following with a camera. He walks in and the, the second floor is like in the basement. Like the roof's in the basement. The things just caves in. He's like, <laughs> no problem. Let's knock it out. He's blowing the back of houses off, blowing the bricks off of these uh, row homes and shells, framing them all the way back up with a Brazilian crew. And I'm just like, I'm, I was so mesmerized by his confidence that I knew if I could have that confidence, just that confidence, I could become a millionaire in this game. So I knew I had to get into full gut. So I um, partnered up with somebody. We uh, bought three shells on a, a like burnout block, like just a mostly vacant block uh, in a C-class neighborhood right in my backyard, same neighborhood I grew up in. And one was a, a tear down, one was a burnout, and one was a shell. And we started uh, full gut renovating this. We hired a contractor, the cheapest guy we could find, right? And what did he do? He ran off with 40 grand because oh. that's what the cheap guys do. Um, and that's part of the contractor's game. I, I have a, a YouTube video on the contractor's game. Everybody has to learn it um, so that you don't get burned. Um, but he ran off and then it's light bulb. We got to get serious. I have to start to learn how to build these myself how to uh, control labor myself, how to buy the materials myself. So I started to go through this process and ultimately scaling into the Burr strategy. My goal was to always to find the cheapest properties that I could get. So I'm, I'm buying them off the share sale, the auctions. I'm buying them off MLS too, if I can get them really cheap. I want shells that have what I call a developer spread. So as I'm getting it more advanced, What's a developer spread? Well, if I could buy it for 50 grand and it's worth 250 of an after repair value when I'm done with it, I have a $200,000 spread. So this is room where I can build into that deal. So now I need to learn how to cut my costs down. And how do you cut down your costs? You cut out middlemen. So you become the GC. You start paying labor and materials directly. You need to know how long it think, takes to uh, put things together, how much it costs, what materials are needed. And once you have that general knowledge and then the resources, the different teammates, you can then start to put properties back together at cost. And when you cut out that 30, 40 percent GC markup and then start to scale with hard money and different lenders and cut down your materials costs because of volume and get a dump truck and get a warehouse, you can now start to do things like buy a shell for 30 grand, put 100 grand into it. It's worth 250 when you're done with it. And then you can go to a, um, you can do that with a, a hard money lender that'll give you 100% of the money to acquire and rehab the property. So it gave me the 130. Now I go to the credit union, tell them, hey, I have this property. I put a Section 8 tenant in it. It's cash flowing. It's worth 250. They give me 80% of that at, at some time, 75 to 80%. So they're going to give me 200,000. I'm going to pay off the hard money lender, their 130, and I'm going to pocket let's say after closing costs and some friction, maybe about $50,000 of a uh, tax-free income. I can take, put in my pocket and recycle my capital and do this over and over again. Now your question is, how can I go out and do 10 of these a year? How can I go out and do 20 of these a year? In 2019, I did 153 of these within that year before COVID hit and started to kind of slow things down a bit. But um this is the birth strategy. And these are the iterations you go through first getting started, getting inspired, and then learning, um, which could involve 
hard knocks right now, you know, I provide mentorship so people don't have to get burned for 40K. You could just learn from my half a million dollars of mistakes, but you learn and then you continue to scale to a level with lenders and, and different people in place so that you can cut down your costs so you can build what I call getting paid to build. So I get paid to build rental properties in C-class neighborhoods to eliminate blight and create value for underserved communities, put money on the table for contractors who feed their families with that money. It's a, it's a mission-based um, thing that I do. You know, I could flip houses in the nice part of the city, but this is part of my mission. And, you know, another part of my mission is building other developers and other people who can go out and do this and repair their communities, their neighborhoods, because I can't do it alone. I did 300 in a, in a decade. That's a drop in the bucket in a trillion dollar market. So I need a hundred, a thousand other developers doing this next to me. There's no competition. There's unlimited supply. These cities were built in 1915. They're a hundred years old. All of these properties are falling apart. They need you to get this knowledge and go out and rehab these communities. That's the only thing that's going to make a difference. Thanks for sharing the the mission there. That was really kind of insightful why you pick those neighborhoods and, and how you're employing people in those neighborhoods and helping them put food on the table by by making a real change in the community that they live in. That's a that's a beautiful mission. So thanks for sharing that. Um, the other thing you said, actually one thing, you, you mentioned a YouTube video Colin, our, our, our uh, tech guru was Googling it, couldn't find it. So if you, if you know the name of that, will you, will you drop it in the chat for us? Cause I want to share that YouTube video with, uh, yeah, let with me, all of our listeners. Yeah. The contractor game. Yeah. The let me, contractor uh, game. let me drop that in. It's a, it's a funny, I mean, it's not a funny game when you're on the other side of it, but once you learn it, um, you know, no one will be able to run off with, uh, with your money. You'll just, you'll be able to pick it up immediately. And it's, uh, it's something that we all have to learn. It's got to be one of the most important lessons in the, in the whole game of, of buying and rehabbing properties. Or, and it doesn't matter if it's residential, commercial, whatever. The other thing you said, Brian, was you, you had this methodology of figuring out your, did you call it your contractor margin? Yeah, the, 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 um, yeah, the, the, the profit spread. So yeah, the profit my, developers, spread. my developer, developer spread. spread. Yeah. So we used to do the same thing, you know. When I got started, um, started with my own house, turning that into a rental property. Sold it a couple years later, so I escaped taxes on that. Moved, I think my first home, I moved something like eighty three thousand dollars into my next investment property, and I'm sitting there as a twenty two year old kid, and I'm like, Do you know how long it would take me to save eighty three thousand dollars in cash after taxes? Like that would have taken me at the time, I think I figured it would have taken like six and a half years to save that much money. And then I yeah. thought to myself, would I ever have the discipline to do that? And then I realized, no, because I ended up <laughs> in Vegas or Hawaii and my dumbass would have spent all, you know, some of that money over the <laughs> six years. So I, I, I realized at that moment that, that, that moving that money tax-free was incredible. And then we used to have this formula, Brian, where- we, we didn't care what the asking price of the, of the home was. Now, this was a different market than we see today. We might be going into a softening market. We, we figured that we needed to make 100 offers to get one accepted. And the yeah. way we would figure out what to, to offer was we'd say, okay, one, it's, it's done. What's it going to be worth? Okay, it's going to be worth 135000 How mm. much is it going to cost to do the renovations? It's going to cost 30000 Plus, I'm going to give myself a 20% margin of error. Let's say it's 35,000. How much money do I want to make? The minimum amount of money I'm willing to make on this project based on the amount of time and energy and what I'm going to do is $7,000. Okay, cool. This becomes simple math. 135 minus the 30,000 renovation minus my 5,000 margin of error minus the $7,000 I want to make in profit. That tells me exactly how much I can offer on that property. And if they won't take it, well, you know, tough. Now, it might be a little more complicated in a market that's moving up 20% uh, a year now. But, but having some sort of a foundation or formula you can follow is crucial to your success. It, yes, yeah, it's, it's everything. And my, my formula probably sounds like it just overly simplistic. Like, oh, he's just looking for a shell. But you have to realize I'm so low to the ground. A shell, let's talk about a shell. 
uh, in a row home because I'm in row home cities, Baltimore, Philly, um, parts of Cleveland, New York, parts of Jersey, Boston. These are row homes. So like townhomes where the the houses are connected. Um, These are like real life Legos, we'll call them. The shape of the house is the same. If you did a hundred of these deals, you could do a thousand of them with your eyes closed because they're the same in terms of the general construction. The cost of the bricks, the, we're talking inherent value of a shell. The cost of the bricks being tapped into the utility lines and just having the main structure mm-hmm. is, is it's probably today north of $100,000. If you tried to go out and just build a three-story or two-story townhome shell, mm-hmm. it's going to cost you that much. So if you can grab it for 30 k the inherent value difference is $70,000. You're already making money on the purchase there. Once you have the knowledge of how to repair the interior, put in new windows, refresh the roof, and just tighten that property, you can you can get that down to a science to say, well, that's going to cost me around $100,000, $120,000. So you can now have this simplistic view of, well, if the ARV, I'm just looking at after repair values now. If the after repair value is $250,000 and I can get it for $10, $20, $0.30 cents on a dollar, I'm going to make money. So you start putting it into your pipeline and you get lenders and, uh, that will believe in you and your mission. And how the lenders think is they're all about deploying money. Lenders don't make money unless they give it to you and you, and you invest it, right? They're in the business of, of doling out money. So once they believe in the mission, they're going to give you half a million, go invest that. You bring that back, refinance them out. They're going to give you 2 million. You do that, they're going to give you 10. You do, you do that, you're going to be talking to J.P. Morgan because they're going to be having a conversation about how can you deploy $100 million, you know, every six months because we want to uh, collateralize that, um, sell that off to the capital markets, and it ends up in, in some big land trust like Redwood, Redwood Trust, and it's in somebody's 401k, mm-hmm. and they're doing it every six months. You know? So you can easily become a player. I think the the biggest, the top 5% of residential real estate players only do 10 or more deals a year. Um, so once you can scale over that level, you become a, a national player and you can start having concessions made for you. Um, like they'll use your appraiser on the front and the back end of the, of the deal. And that will eliminate pretty much, I would say 90% of the risk in the birth strategy is really appraisal risk. So um, you can start to eliminate risk from your model and then scale this thing to the next level. And that's how you can get that warehouse and start to cut your cost down 30, 40% on materials and just keep going and, and do as much volume as you can. Gold, yeah. gold. Talk to me about your first private money lender, Brian. And I know we're, we're, we're running close on time here, but I'm, I'm yeah. going to milk this conversation for the last second. Uh- <laughs> this guy's great. And, and I, I love talking about this guy. So I'm knee deep in these shells, right? This guy's just run away with 40 grand. I'm figuring it out. I'm pulling, pulling money out of everywhere, cashing out IRAs, 401ks. I'm just going all in on this thing. And I get my first three deals done on this block and we refinance out. We go out and buy another three on this block because now we're into the block and it's like, well, let's just do the whole thing. I, I ended up doing 11 deals on this one block. Um, which was amazing to control, you know, a block like that. So um, I'm three deals into the next three shells that are connected to some of my other shells. And we're like out of money. Like it, it's, it's over. It's curtain calls time. I find a community-based lender. Um, they, they called themselves a Germantown Jumpstart. And they were focused just in, in the neighborhood that I kind of grew up in. So I found them through other developers I knew. And the owner comes out and this guy, he owns like a lot of commercial real estate. So he likes the residential real estate built up around his commercial real estate. So he sold a bank and um, his ownership stake in a bank and he had a ton of money. So he's lending it out at like 6% on hard money and like a point, point and a half, which isn't just unheard of. He's undercutting the market. So he comes out and I'm like, all right, we're going to walk the properties. You know, what's going on? This guy's I thought I loved real estate. This guy's got, he's like 58. He's got his hard hat on, his boots on, and he's walking through the shell. Like we're like balancing on beams. Like this thing's going to cave in and he's just head first in the shell. I'm like, man, this guy's going after it. We walk around the property. We're on the block. There's drug dealers here. There's this, that. And he's just like unfazed because 
real developers, we see the future. We don't, oh, we don't see what's here. We don't care about what's here. We see the end game, which you can't see if you're not us. So it's people are like, well, why would you invest in that neighborhood? Because I'm not even looking at this neighborhood. I'm looking at what it's supposed to be and what it's going to be. And that, the people who have that vision make the millions because they get in early enough. And we walk around it and he's just like, everything looks good. Um, you know, we'll give you a quarter million. We'll, we'll have the money in your account on Wednesday. I'm like, Ken, is Monday. He's like, yeah, we're done. And I'm just like, wow, this is amazing. So I that was like this. my first like hard money. But he came at a time where I'm just like, we're, we're done. And this guy comes in on a freaking golden horse and just like <laughs> saves the day. And without that, I would have never gotten to 300, right? So yeah. that's why I love talking about this story because it only takes one person to believe in your mission and one like-minded uh, investor or lender to come in to completely transform things for you. And, and, and uh, Ken, Ken uh, Weinstein was that guy. Um, and, and it was just a powerful time uh, when that Germantown Jumpstart program came in. So I, I always love speaking about it and telling that story because it was just, it was just mind boggling to me. Like you, you need the money and you're like, where's it going to come from? And, and it came, it came it through. Came. Yeah. The, the idea around OPM, other people's money, is is so powerful and in in when you're starting in that game i like you got to a place where i was like man i've got bigger dreams and bigger projects than i do pockets and and it felt like this unsurmountable uh uh obstacle and similarly to you somebody who was older than me who didn't want to do all the work didn't want to do all the all the vision of the future but they saw that we had a history of doing deals successfully. And they said, you know, if you could just give me six or 7% or 8%, I'd be really happy with that. And just, you know, give me a lien on the property, make sure I'm collateralized, do me right. And I was like, oh my gosh, I thought, you know, like my whole world changed because I realized the, the philosophy of OPM. And there's more people out there with money that don't know what to do with it, don't want to put it in the bond market. Oh, I forgot to mention earlier, the bond market has gotten slaughtered this year. So everybody just thought the bond market was safe. Yep, not so good. They don't want to, they're, they're fearful to put money in the bond market. They're fearful to put money in the stock market. They're not buying cryptocurrencies, but they know that the value of their dollar is getting eroded. And if you can show them a model and how you can deploy capital, create change and positive impact on a house or a community, boy, you can solve a lot of problems with that knowledge. Yeah. It, it, and that's what people have to realize. We, we all get caught up in our own money. Like, oh, I don't have the money to get in real estate. So I'm going to sit on the sidelines. It's not the money. I, I, I tell people this all the time. There's two things in real estate. There's money and knowledge. The more you have of one, the less you need of the other. So mm -hmm. if you're running around with $2 million, you don't need much knowledge. Go get burned for, for 40 grand by a contractor and figure it out and you'll be <laughs> fine. If you have no money, you need more knowledge. You need more mentorship because you can't afford to make those costly mistakes. But those are the two things that you absolutely need uh, one of. And if you have less of one, you need more of the other in order to be successful. So, you know, you're 100 percent right. If you come in with the knowledge, with the business plan, with the model, the money is going to flow to it because smart money moves towards opportunities uh, like mortgage backed security. I mean, mortgage backed security is is uh I mean, it's everything. And especially when you're getting into the hard money space where you can be charging 10, 12, 13%, six, eight, seven, you know, 9% or whatever. It's a great return. Um, that is, it's not riskless, but it's very low risk when you're talking about uh, only lending up to 65% of the after uh, repair value. It's very, it's a very uh, reasonable bet that if we're staying below this, we're trusting the appraised value and uh, it's a mortgage-backed security. So if the deal goes bad, we're just going to liquidate it to another investor. I mean, it's, um, it's a safe investment for people. And once you figure that out, you can go out and raise money. But you need right. the knowledge. You can't raise money without, without knowledge. Um, so that just means you need to go get mentorship and go get knowledge. So much wisdom here. Such a great conversation, Brian. I'm 100% certain that our listeners are going to want to know how to follow you, how to learn from you about your coaching programs in 24 seven university. So where can people find you, Brian? 
So you can find me on uh, on YouTube. Uh, Brian loves cash flow, and it's easy to remember because I do love cash flow. So Brian loves cash flow on YouTube. On uh, if you're on Instagram, um, Brian Grimes underscore two four seven cash flow university. Um, if you're on Facebook, uh, just Brian Grimes, you'll you'll find me. You can Google Brian Grimes twenty four seven cash flow university. And if you want to tap directly into uh, one of my free trainings, I put together some really cool free trainings for you guys. Um, and access to my 24 seven cash flow playbook, which will teach you like step by step how to go from where you're at to, to building financial freedom uh, with this burst strategy and with cash flow at uh, www.workwithgrimes.com forward slash cash flow, workwithgrimes.com forward slash cash flow. So those, those are the easiest places to find me. And no matter where you find me, everything's backlinked. So uh, you can tap into the free training, you can text me. Uh, we can hop on a call one-on-one and talk about, you know, the mentorship program and how we can get you uh, some deals done. Uh, some of our students are in the country. We have people out of the country that we're building deals for. Uh, in the U.S., um, you know, we'll build properties for you. We'll tap you in. We'll hand off the connections. I'm not one, hopefully you can tell, that holds back information. I, um, I don't believe that there's competition at a level where anybody in real estate needs to really hold back uh, info. So, I'm here to give you the game, give you the goods, the good, bad, and the ugly, and um, make sure that you're not getting burned for money out here. So, uh, you know, that's my job. Ryan, I feel like we just scratched the surface. I hope people will follow you and learn from you. And uh, I'm really connected and, and just want to compliment you on your mission. I heard you say, I need a, a hundred or hundreds of developers out there yeah. across the country that are willing to invest in these neighborhoods and renew these neighborhoods and bring new life into them. And that's just a beautiful mission of, of trying to improve communities across the country. So thank you for uh, being the man that you are. No, thank you. And, and I mean, I want, you know, that I'm not going to stop until I have a thousand of me running around in all the C-class neighborhoods across the, the country, rebuilding them until they look like the B and A-class neighborhoods. So, you know, that's the mission. I'm sticking to it. The main thing is, is going to be the main thing. <laughs> I love it, man. Thanks for your time today. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks, Josh. Really appreciate it.